Mel. And Kel. And this is It's Called Culture. Ever heard of it? Hi, friends. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for another fun-filled week. If you're new to listening to our show, we did an episode a few weeks ago, episode 55, and we talked about all kinds of milk topics, <laughs> including the history of pasteurization and all kinds of wonderful things. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen. But that is why we're kicking off our episode today tasting raw milk. We're doing a raw milk taste test. Melissa is. By we, I mean me. <laughs> I'm just over here for support, virtually. We finally got our first batch of raw milk, a local farm stand that sells it. I saw it on their website that they sell it. So I showed up at the local farm stand last weekend and I was like, all right, please point me to the raw milk. And they were like, honey, you got to order the raw milk. And I was like, oh, so <laughs> it's, a, it's a process. Like they don't just have the raw milk sitting in a cooler over there. So you said you have to order the raw milk. It comes in on Wednesdays at noon. And I'm like, this is this is an ordeal already. <laughs> Regal milk, you can just go to salvage shop and pick it up. So I ordered it. I put my name on a little lined notebook pad. <laughs> he said, how much do you want to order it? You can go by the half gallon, gallon, whatever you want. And I was like, let's just go with like a half gallon to start. So for the first time, I don't know what it's going to be like. We're just going to test it out. And he was like, okay, 11.50. And I was like, uh -huh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 11.50 for a half gallon? Okay, that's where we're at. <laughs> God, that's increased. That's where we're at. So plus my gas, because I had to go there twice. <laughs> I showed up today to pick up my raw milk. I don't know what I was expecting it to come in as a container, but... We posted a picture to our Instagram of what it came in, and it's just this large, it's like a mason jar, half gallon size mason jar. So it's like huge with this wide mouth. I thought it was going to come in something that I could pour out of. When you undo the cap, it is filled all the way to the tippity tippity top. You're getting your $11 worth. I'm getting my $11 worth down the sink because that's where it's going. <laughs> I had to take it out with the turkey baster <laughs> to put in the bowl for my daughter because it was the only way. Like you were not maneuvering that jar without spilling that everywhere. And that's like 11.50 a half gallon. I'm not going <laughs> to spill it on the ground. So I turkey basted it. My daughter thought it was the coolest thing. She was like, oh my gosh. She was telling me how many more like squeezes of the turkey baster. She wants to go, okay, do three more, do three more. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Could you eventually, like, once it a little bit on the top was not filled, could you, like, turn the canister thing over? So we had drained a little bit for my daughter, for her cereal. And when my husband got home, he wanted to taste it. So he had, like, a little glass that he wanted me to pour a little bit into. And I was like, I can't pour this. I can't pour out of this jar. <laughs> so we had to get a funnel. So we did a funnel action for him. Oh, yeah. A funnel would work probably better than a turkey baster. <laughs> <laughs> the turkey baster worked really well it was just it, it, you're not getting volume you're not getting like a yeah. lot of volume <laughs> that's the time consuming too 
by the time I just went to go get my glass, like it's definitely down enough that I should be able to pour it without it spilling. But it's just such a wide mouth thing that it just I don't know what we're doing here. So if if anybody else gets raw milk and they get it in a container like that, please let me know what you do. Like, do you have to put it into something else when you get it? I wonder. Is there a hand pump? Forties won't like won't let that go to waste. So there's got to be someone out there that's raw milk in it, and they know how to pour it into a cup. <laughs> and so the guy, when I went to go pick it up today, he hands it to me, and it's separated. There's at least three inches on top. Like there's a clear line defining like the three inch kind of cream layer on the top and then the milk on the bottom. And he's like, you know, you have to shake this, right? And I was like, I do now. (laughs) Do you have to shake it every time or just the one? My shake from earlier seemed like it still held up. I didn't shake it just now before I grabbed mine. Okay. So I don't know how often I have to shake it. The container is not like spill proof. So like when you shake it like milk comes out and you're like well, what's going on here that's like two dollars right there <laughs> guys like if you don't shake it the top is going to be real thick real thick and creamy and i'm like all right all right all right so uh, sounds disgusting already <laughs> all right so without further ado we're doing our taste test it doesn't have a smell that's good it's very rich but not sugary. I feel like regular milk feels more sugary. Tastes pretty normal. I was expecting it to taste like bad, but it tastes good. And now I'm in my brain. I'm thinking that regular milk tastes bad. <laughs> they do say raw milk tastes good. I'm struggling with it because it just it feels like it doesn't have a flavor. Do you feel like you're drinking water? I don't know, like a thick water? Let's see if it'll leave a mustache. (laughs) We got one. (laughs) We got a mustache. So I guess I was expecting flavor and it sort of feels like it has like a lack of flavor only because I'm used to pasteurized milk flavor, which is probably just like a burnt milk flavor that we never knew. You're drinking like what baby cows drink right now from the nipple. (laughs) Oh, you're like a baby cow. A cat. (laughs) The stuff that we drink has a distinctive milk taste. Right. But I think it's just bad. Because this is just like so smooth and has no taste in a good way. Could you drink a couple cups of that? Yeah, this is good. Okay. This tastes better than pasteurized milk. So we got our answer. I took like a couple sips and I'm just like, I'm enjoying this. I feel I'm finishing my whole glass here, folks. This is bigger than a taste test. It's a full (laughs) glass of milk. Well, you can't let that go to waste. $11. (laughs) I'm going to lick the glass when I'm done. (laughs) So are you guys going to be a raw milk family? I don't die. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, you'll be fine. Sure, it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) Right from our raw milk taste test, we're going to head into the rest of our episode here. So social media roundup and culture, we're merging those two together today because there was significant overlap in these two topics. This first item I'm going to talk about, I honestly don't even know how I stumbled upon this. I don't know what depths of the internet I was in to get here, but I ended up on a TripAdvisor page (laughs) for San Miguel from five years ago. The title of it is Men Hang... Sorry. <laughs> I'm burping up the milk. The title of it is 
men hanging around on their own everywhere on the streets. This is a TripAdvisor. Like, this is not a one-off. This is a level six contributor on TripAdvisor. And this is like a review almost. It's a forum. Yep. So it's a forum on Samigal Travel. It's kind of long, but it's worth it. I'm going to read this to you. (laughs) I promise you it's worth it. We are well-traveled people, Europe, USA, South America, etc., and especially enjoy Portugal. But having just returned from San Miguel, I thought I would share something that both I and my partner found very strange there. On San Miguel in the Azores, in Ponte Delgada and various other towns, the number of men hanging around on the streets on their own, both in the day and at night, was very high and something I've never encountered before. You'd find them on street corners or hanging around various monuments, or literally anywhere. It didn't look like they were doing anything suspicious in particular, not drinking, smoking, selling drugs, etc., as far as I could tell, but it all just felt really weird. They were never in groups, always on their own, and were always aged about 30 to 50. We were never approached by them at any point. I am a male and my partner is female, so maybe that might have had something to do with this. But I really don't know how I would feel if I were a female visiting this island, walking around in the day on my own, or especially at night. I don't know if this is part of the Azores culture, where the men literally just hang around on their own while the women are left indoors. (laughs) There was no female equivalent of this anywhere, though. And thinking back now, we didn't really see that many non-tourist females anywhere. Maybe this is just a part of the Azores life. I'm not saying we didn't feel safe while being on San Miguel, again, maybe because we were a couple, but it made me wonder if anyone else had experienced this. And also, I thought it would help some folks in the future to know this before visiting. Other than that, we enjoyed our week on the island exploring all the amazing views, but I doubt we will ever feel the need to return, having seen most that the island has to offer in this timescale. Wow. (laughs) I'm just trying to read the, um... the responses. To be clear, groups of men hanging out in a cafe or on a corner would, would be perfectly common. But that's not what we're talking about here. <laughs> that is so funny. Oh, there's a lot of comments about it. So there's 39 replies on this person's post. There's a lot of poverty in the Azores. Azores doesn't have much economic activity. <laughs> Tourism is nothing compared to Madeira. <laughs> Probably those men are fishermen and don't have a steady job drinking and smoking a lot. They just said they weren't smoking or selling drugs. (laughs) Another response here says, I just came back from the Azores and I did see men hanging in groups, usually around bars, snack bars and gas stations in large groups. Mostly they were drinking espressos and other times not. I've never felt threatened because I see groups of men sitting around Tim Hortons drinking coffee and sitting outside bars in Canada. I never felt any unease walking past that. Oh, not Tim Hortons. This person clearly is unaware of island life. (laughs) It's a slow pace. Not in a rush to get anywhere. It's island life, sir. This one says, we did see one beggar alone in front of the Cafe Central in Ponte Delgada, where he politely approached tourists and locals alike with only one success. Three more were together near a shop somewhere else in the city. Those three sat on the curb, seemed to either be drunk or on drugs, spoke English with one another and with anyone who happened by. 
They were not at all aggressive in their approaches, but they did appear to argue with one another. <laughs> yeah, they're probably drunk. <laughs> also, the island are only born for people that come here by mistake looking for selfies and not interaction with nature. <laughs> Where are the ladies on the island? Are they not allowed to go out and about like the men or are there... Not many ladies residing on the island. Can any locals explain, please? Thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Bavo's inside. He's making pizang. Yeah. <laughs> He's taking care of all the kids, the brood. I'm married to an Azorian man, born and raised in the city of Azores. It's part of the culture where men hang out together outside and women stay indoors. If they have kids, they look after them. It's no biggie. <laughs> it's no biggie. <laughs> Many of the small villages have a couple of cafes for people to have a drink, coffee, beer, wine, whatever, and they have a good talk among them. Many of them, after having their drink, will just walk outside and are waiting for people to talk with. Women, most of them do not care about going out. They stay home or visit their lady friends. So if we lived out there, would we just stay home? You'd be home taking care of your kid, and then I would be over your house visiting you? While our husbands hung out at the cafe. When I was there, the village that I stayed in had two cafes. And that was the only two things. There was no restaurants or anything. I would go to get an espresso there every day. And I think I was the only woman that ever walked into that place. It was like a bar cafe <laughs> thing. I did not encounter another woman in there. It's like complete silence when you walk in. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, I can. <laughs> You stroll in with your redhead husband and your blonde little girl. <laughs> you fucking threw them for a loop. <laughs> I know, but it was like my dad's village, so they all know my dad. So right. I could just be like, oh, so it's kind of the delaying. And they'd be like, oh, okay. That's all it takes. All you have to tell them is who your parent is. And they like know who you are. The thing that I love about this is then like people were just like taking this seriously. Like, this person now from Palm Coast, Florida, responds to this guy and he's like, we will be in Ponte Delgada in three weeks. So we will see if the situation that you described is still an issue. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? Team Manal's going to Team Manal. They're going to be outside the bar and the cafe just standing there staring at you. Like, I'm sorry, but that's just what they do. <laughs> it's not going to change in three weeks. <laughs> it's cultural. It's been going on for centuries. It's not going to be cleared up in three weeks. He's going to like write a letter to like the Portugal embassy. <laughs> you know, when you go to like look for a place to travel to and they put like a travel warning. <laughs> like a ban. Everyone traveling to San Miguel, please beware. <laughs> there are men on the street corners. Every street corner. We're unsure where all the women are. <laughs> Stay safe out there. In parentheses, it'd be like, they won't approach you if you don't approach them. <laughs> you should consider putting your passport in one of those under-the-garment bags. That's what Dwight had in the office when they went to Canada, because Dwight was so concerned about Michael going to Canada <laughs> that he made him wear like an, a belt underneath his shirt to have all this stuff in. See, Manel doesn't want your passport. <laughs> That's it. So, I don't know. That just felt like a gem of a discovery when I found that TripAdvisor post. 
because I I can picture it like they're describing it to me. And I'm like, yeah, they're not wrong. It's exactly how it is. It's my uncle outside in his cafe. Right. <laughs> it's like so common. And if we go out there, we're totally fine and we're comfortable with it. An unknown would be like, oh, my God, what are these men up to? I don't feel safe. <laughs> Put yourself in a different country, foreign country that you're not used to and you're not used to this behavior or activity. You're just like, this is creepy there. I've not seen a single woman (laughs) and all these men are just standing, doing nothing, staring at me. They don't let the women in the Azores come and play. (laughs) They just stay indoors. They take COVID precautions. (laughs) They take it serious. We're going to tell you how serious they took COVID. (laughs) Coming from what we just told you that like, oh, yeah, the men are always outside, but like they're harmless. That's totally good. Right. But then the very next thing I'm going to tell you is this Reddit post came up on my feed and it was somebody asking if there were any sex shops on San Miguel. They were going to visit and they were just looking for some fun, looking for some sex shops. And they couldn't find any on Google. And they were wondering if maybe they're just not listed. Maybe there's like a black market for sex shops that they didn't know about. So they posted to Reddit. And it only had like one or two comments in reply. But it was basically somebody just responding and being like, nope, there are no sex shops. The population is very conservative. The culture, like everything about it just doesn't lend itself to the sex shop clientele. And the people just wouldn't want to be seen going into the sex shop it's not that the people wouldn't want the items in the sex shop but just that like the villages are too small the island is too small like you're gonna you're not gonna go unnoticed if you go into the sex shop right everyone's gonna know about it but it's funny because then they can make ceramic penises Mm, you know right (laughs) just putting that out there but anyways yes they'd be more embarrassed of being seen that's a risky dildo though ceramic (laughs) Penis. If any of our new listeners don't know what we're talking about, we talked about it on an earlier episode about how a village in Portugal mainland came up with this ceramic penis that they is like a cultural staple. It's in all the shops everywhere. And it's just it's odd. It's off putting because of the way the culture is. And then you see that and you're like, this doesn't line up with the culture. It's like uh, it doesn't doesn't fit. The trip advisor people were wondering where all the women were. They're inside talking on the phone with their friends about who was in the sex shop. So, like, you can't go in there (laughs) without word getting around town. Right. So, whatever, all good. But I was intrigued enough that I had put this as a topic for this podcast that I wanted to tell people about this. And then, right before we started to record this episode, I wanted to go pull that Reddit post back up so that I could reference it. And when I did a little a little Google of sex shops on San Miguel Reddit, I was treated to some other gems. <laughs> I was going to say, anything with sex in your Google search box, <laughs> you're asking for it. It was a risky search. It was a risky search, but it paid off. Okay. <laughs> did it give you a warning? Like, are you 18 and over? Um, No. I stumbled upon a different Reddit post about sex toys in San Miguel from two years ago. 
the one I just told you about was recent, like within the last few days. So this one from a couple years ago says, me and my boyfriend are spending our honeymoon in this island and we're thinking of getting some toys. Is there any sex shop in Ponce Delgada? The very first comment, volcanoes and natural bubbles. (laughs) (laughs) You cannot make this shit up. (laughs) Is the natural (laughs) bubbles supposed to be like a, like you can use (laughs) the bubbles as like a toy? Volcanoes? Yeah, I don't want my vagina anywhere near a volcano. <laughs> That's a sassy response. Volcanoes and natural bubbles. <laughs> that makes me terrified because when you go to Fudnish, Terranostra Park, they have the big orange thermal pool. You can't see in it, through it, yeah. whatever. So it's just like, you got to... All these men just hanging around in there. <laughs> I need to see your hands. Where are your hands? Hands above the waterline, please. <laughs> there are areas where, like, towards the edges of the thermal pool that have, like, the hot water bubbling up. Like, it comes yeah. out in, like, one specific area or, like, a couple specific areas. So, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just thinking of a scene from Always Sunny where one of the guys likes they like to go to the water park and he likes to sit on the the jets in the pool. He likes to sit on it because it feels good. <laughs> so that's all I could think about was that guy's comment <laughs> with the natural bubble. Yep. So I'm never gonna look at those natural thermal pools the same again. No. The comment after that was go to the doll's house. The dolls was capitalized. So to me, it seemed like it was some sort of establishment. And lucky for me, somebody commented right beneath it and said, that's where all the COVID cases came from. And I thought they were just (laughs) being facetious. You know, oh, that place is so dirty. It's like ground zero for COVID. I thought they were just being facetious. They were not. I looked it up. I looked up the doll's house in Ponte Delgada. And I was treated to an absolute gem. Title of this news article is Panic in the Azores as Seven Strippers Test Positive for Virus. Seven strippers have tested positive for COVID-19 at a gentleman's club in the Azores. The resulting fallout has created panic. (laughs) Already hundreds of tests have been undertaken. And authorities estimate that the number of infections will be, quote, very superior, unquote, to the seven initially flagged. The problem, naturally, is in contact tracing all of the clients of the Dollhouse Gentlemen's Club in Ponce Delgada. This is a, quote, particularly difficult situation, regional health director states, as it has been established that, quote, practically all the clients were high risk, end quote. Parentheses. This may mean of advanced age. So like uncles and grandfathers. <laughs> Dads. Vavu, get yeah. out of there. <laughs> what are you doing in there, Vavu? I would fucking die. Well, I don't have any more grandparents, but I would die if I found out that my grandfather got COVID because he was at a ship club. That's a story to tell. Can you imagine how much drama this caused? 
again, it was, I, I gave you the number seven, right? Seven strippers mm-hmm. tested positive. But let me give you the follow up to this because this article, I guess, was early on when they were just contact tracing and testing everyone. The follow up article, this one's in, this one's in Portuguese, but Bar de Strip nous assure já infectou 102 pessoas. The Bar de Strip infected 102 people. That's like practically almost the whole island. <laughs> Just kidding, it's not. The picture that's on this article is a stripper pole with the stripper legs from like the thigh down in some big like six inch heels with a bottle of gallon size Purell with a hand pump in the front. <laughs> it's a cinematic masterpiece. I think it's the hand sanitizer that kills me. Like, did they have this photo? This is a stock photo. Like stripper with Purell. This way. These are the gems you find when you pull on the string of the sweater. <laughs> you unravel the whole fucking thing. You're going to tell me strippers is what took out San Miguel in COVID? <laughs> you can't make that up. You can't write <laughs> you can't. a better storyline. It's so hard to tell. Like, it's so hard to tell who, how you got COVID from. Like, what if, like, it wasn't from the strip club? A man could have been going in and gave a, gave the stripper COVID. Not strippers giving it to the men. But still, they all contracted it there. <laughs> they need to send the Portuguese women in there to clean with their fabuloso. <laughs> get them out of the house and get them cleaning. Get their husbands out of there. Oh, my God. And go clean the purple fabuloso. That's the good smelling one, I find personally. <laughs> I'm just trying to picture because these men are having to come home and be like, I got COVID. And then like the wife is like looking at the news and being like, the timing is right (laughs) for this dolls club outbreak. Right. (laughs) Right. Because in the other article, all the women stayed home. So they know like the husband, like the women know, like, I'm not giving it to you because I'm always home. Right. And we turn the TV on, strippers getting COVID. <laughs> My husband just got COVID. One plus one equals two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I'm kind of surprised that there's a strip club in the Azores. Totally surprised. I'm like, I'm kind of in shock with that. Big Cidad vibes. <laughs> and only one then, though. Like, only one. I don't know if there's more. Our listeners, let us know if there's more than one. <laughs> Honestly, don't let us know. <laughs> Keep that shit to yourself. And couldn't you just like pack the sex toys in your suitcase, knowing that you're going to a country that doesn't have any? And if you wanted some for you and your husband, like, couldn't you just pack it? That's a very fair point. The airport will see it, but I'm sure they've seen worse things. <laughs> I think your option is very sensible. Pack it up. Yes. And another option would be this person says, if you want to plan ahead, you can go to vibrolandia.com. Vibrolandia.com. I'm going to spell it for you just so you know not to visit this website, folks. Okay. Vibro. I'm going to search this while you do it. (laughs) V-I-B-R-O-L-A-N-D-I-A.com. 
and order some online direct to your lodging. The package is discreet and it's a big Portuguese website. I recommend you call your lodging ahead and tell them a package will arrive and have fun once you arrive and check in. <laughs> yep, I'm getting my, are you 18 years old? <laughs> Number one sex shop in Portugal since 2003. Physical store, same day delivery, online shopping delivery 24 hours. As seen on Maluk Beleza, and then it has like a little microphone and headphones. It looks like it's a podcast. Hey, <laughs> are you telling me that if I recommend a few vibrators, they will <laughs> promo the show for us? Let's do it. We're gonna have to look into that. Yeah, if we get like, a sponsorship, <laughs> rough out here. It's rough out here for <laughs> sponsorships. Okay. A quick 24 hours delivery? Are these shipping vibrators on a boat to send it to the Azores? <laughs> That's all I want to know. Are they manufacturing them in the Azores? <laughs> For our nostalgia and mental health segments today, we have story time. Basically, we're gonna just do <laughs> we're gonna do a story time for nostalgia and we're gonna do a story time for mental health. Just to sit back, relax, enjoy the show. Please silence your phones. Restrooms are to the rear. I'll be chilling because it's Melissa telling me these stories. Because Melissa does a lot more than I do. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily say that this first story is something that you would want to do. Absolutely not. <laughs> I volunteered to cover recess and lunch duty at my daughter's school. It was teacher appreciation week. They wanted to give the teachers a little break. And so they said, can we have some parent volunteers to relieve the teachers of recess and lunch duty? How hard can it be? I just wanted to see my little daughter. I guess I don't know. I, uh, I never know what I'm expecting. But I walked into the school and they basically just handed me a walkie talkie and said, they'll bring the kids out to you on the blacktop. Go meet the kids at the blacktop. And I said, okay. I walk out there. Typically, there's a playground, but it had been raining earlier. So it was all wet. So they do recess on this big, gigantic, open, paved area. It's not parking. It's free of parking, but it's just a blacktop. Semi-fenced in. There were two other moms that showed up. And then they brought the kids out to us. So the two, there's two kindergarten classes, and they brought them out to us. 50 to 60 kids. 50 to 60 five-year-olds. Uh, worst nightmare. And they were all in a nice line and their teachers brought them out and the teachers reiterated the rules of recess to them and said, we've got some nice visitors that are helping us today. We don't go up the ramp. We don't go to the road. We keep our hands to ourselves. She covered all the rules. Yep. Okay. She, she said, I'll come back and get them when recess is over. Oh, so she didn't even stick around. No, that was the point. We were relieving her of recess duty. duties. Okay. There was, I believe the assistant principal was there with us as well, but they don't normally cover recess duty either. Okay. The, the teacher releases the children to our care. <laughs> she goes back inside. And these 60 kids who were lined up nicely, standing, waiting, listening to their teacher, now proceed to just start screaming and running in every direction. Ugh. No, thank you. 
full sprints. They just all immediately went into a full sprint. They don't know where they're running. They don't know what they're running to or from. They are just running as fast as they can, screaming at the top of their lungs. They run in packs. It was very much separated by like boys and girls and separated by the two classes. So there's like packs of girls in each class is like little clans of people. Yeah. We were 30 seconds into the recess and the first child started crying. And I look and there's a boy and he's screaming and he's crying and he's saying, I don't want to play with you anymore. And he's stomping away from his group of friends crying. And I'm like, what is happening? (laughs) Why are we already crying? You have been at recess for 30 seconds. Like what could possibly have happened in 30 seconds that you are already in tears? Right. right, Emotionally. Emotional damage in 30 (laughs) seconds. There were a lot more tears that followed for the remainder of the recess period. Somebody was playing red light, green light. One of the kids didn't know what it meant to freeze at red light. So they kept getting called out because they weren't freezing at red light and they were crying about it. It was a big, big ordeal. So whenever there's like a crying kid or drama, like they all flock to see what's going on and then they disperse again. Right. Nosy bastards. (laughs) The fence is not closed off. There's gate openings in the fence on all the sides. I was just fearful. I'm going to lose one of these children on my recess duty. They're going to escape. Like I said, it was a very big area. So I was just like constantly just walking like the perimeter to try to make sure that I was keeping my cattle in the yard. You're like in a prison yard. (laughs) They came out for the hour of outdoor activity and Wilson's just walking around. (laughs) I was trying to keep the peace. Endless bathroom parade. At recess, like they can't wait. They can't like hold it in for a little bit until they went back in. It's a 20 minute recess. So it's like, why did you not pee before you came out? Right. And why can you not hold it until you go back in? You got 20 minutes to be outside. Take full advantage of it. (laughs) So there was just like constantly. So like one chaperone would have to go in with the kids. They'd come back out and the next kid would be like, I got to go to the bathroom. And then you'd go in, come out, come out. So there was basically one person on like bathroom duty in and out. Okay. Basically, it was chaotic. I'm like, I could barely keep track of what was going on. I was like, this I, this needs to end soon because <laughs> like, I cannot. We have zero control over these kids. They are feral. Yeah. And they typically do that with two teachers, just the two teachers who run those classrooms. God bless them. And I'm like, how? How do you do this? How do you manage these children? Yeah, I don't know how they do it. I don't even want one. And then taking care of 50. 50. Like probably like 25 each. Yeah. So the teacher had to round them back up with a whistle. So when she came out, she she went hard on the whistle and all the kids lined up. And I was like, oh, I need a whistle. So they like behaved enough where they know, okay, the whistle goes off, get in line. You know, so it seems like they're very disciplined in that way. They listen to their teacher certainly better than they would listen to us. They were just yeah. like, who are these fucking characters? Yeah, we never see these people again. It was like very much sub vibes, like like substitute teacher vibes. You don't behave for the sub. So we go inside and now we have lunch duty. Lunch duty also included first grade. So they brought in an extra like 50 or 60 kids. So now we've got like 100 kids, let's just say. And that was just epically chaotic. 
<laughs> because now you're adding food into the mix for children of an age who are incapable of doing things on their own. <laughs> yeah, it's also, yeah, it's part of the equation. If they're getting school lunch, they have to get in the lunch line with their little lunch tickets and they have to just make a decision on what they want for lunch. And then they have to go to their table and then they got to figure out how to open everything and eat everything and whatever. They had 30 minutes for lunch. That was the longest 30 minutes of my life. The kids were mostly good, but like some of them wouldn't stay seated. They were just like, it's a couple rogue ones that are just running around. Mm. They had like a bathroom cone system. So like only a couple kids could be out at the bathroom at a time. They would raise their hand when they needed something. And so my job was to go around and see what they needed and help them with it. They needed a lot. (laughs) It was like whack-a-mole. It was whack-a-mole. The hands were just flying up in the air. And I was like, oh, my God. So I'm running across the lunchroom from kid to kid. And it was like, I need to go to the bathroom. So I'm tracking down cones for these kids to go to the bathroom. Can you open this for me? Normal stuff, right? And then I get a hand and I go and I arrive at the kid and he says, I burned my hand yesterday on the iron. (laughs) My first instinct was, oh, are you okay? Like, does it still hurt? Yeah, because he's calling you over. Right. Like, why why are you giving me this information? So I'm like, does it it must still be hurting? You know, he must he must be in pain. And that's what he's trying to tell me. So I say, does it still hurt? And he says, no. And I'm like, well, thank you. Thank you for that information. I'm going to continue on now. Have a good day. Oh, my God. I would have like died. Another kid calls me over and says, I hurt my leg. And I said, oh, oh, my. What happened? And they said, <laughs> I banged it on the on the bench here in my seat. Are you OK? No, I need to go to the nurse. You need to go to the nurse? Really? Can I can I see it? What's going on? <laughs> oh my god! Shows me her her injury. I said, "Oh, okay, yeah, it's a little bump. Not sure. We need to call the nurse in." But <laughs> so many things. Can I get a water? Can I get a napkin? Can I get this? Can I get that? Oh my goodness! But one of the things that I thought was so interesting was. Because I don't remember this from when we were in school. They never did this. They had a bucket in the center of the cafeteria where they would pour their milk cartons. They would empty their milk cartons, sloshing it into this bucket, like a five-gallon pail from Home Depot, before they threw their cartons in the trash. Why do I feel like that's familiar? Maybe you had it in high school? I don't know. That seems kind of familiar. But anyway, so... But then what do they do with all that unused milk? It's a good fucking question. Down the sink, I'm guessing. I bet it's not eleven fifty a gallon. <laughs> yeah, it's not no raw milk. But it was like like they were missing the bucket. So like there's just like milk on the floor, like all around the bucket, and they're sloshing all their milk in there. Oh, it was so nasty. That sounds so gross. And then the teacher had to use a microphone. So when the when the teacher was trying to get kids attention like towards the end of lunch because it's just so crazy in there she had to get on like a karaoke machine and use a microphone be like attention may i have your attention please will the real slim shady (laughs) please stand up it was wild our school would just resort to screaming 
Yeah, we got screamed at. Screamed at and then punished. So now this is just kindergarten and first graders. Right. Then, like, the other classes go after. Yeah, so everything was, like, staggered. Like, I think then it was, like, second and third grade. And then it was going to be maybe fourth and fifth. Like, it was, like, three different lunches or something. Okay. But you only just did this kindergarten and first. Okay. Correct. Whereas, like, our school was so small that they had maybe two lunch shifts. They had maybe, like, younger kids and then older kids. And that was it. I think so, yeah. And we were K to 8. This is only K to 5. Yeah, that's right. Just in this lunchroom of the kindergarten and first graders, there was more kids than there were in our entire elementary school. Tells you something. Not a lot of kids in Catholic school. <laughs> yeah. So the whole thing, I think, was just eye-opening to me. Like most, if people are listening to this and they went to a public school or whatever, they're going to be like, who cares? Like she just had a normal experience. But I was yeah. in severe culture shock of the difference between public school and Catholic school how we grew up the tiny tiny school tiny class size just getting screamed at all the time versus like these kids they were doing their own thing like they didn't give a shit about authority yeah and we didn't have like parents come in and volunteer they used to ring a bell to get our attention and then they would scream at us yeah yes yeah a lot of screaming a lot of yelling lots of getting in trouble these kids were not getting in trouble were just off the rails off the rails like one of the kids that raised their hand i went over to her and she said my my friend that was sitting next to me he just escaped the lunchroom and i was like (laughs) oh maybe i should tell someone about that (laughs) i love that it's like okay why is that one being a snitch (laughs) she was being a snitch but she also waited until he had safely escaped before she told her it's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you get out, but I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell somebody. She gave him a head start, you know. <laughs> they seemed a little bit unfazed by the rules. They were just wild and out. Wow, good for them. Give you that age. Not a worry. They don't have to worry about anything. They have somebody opening their milk carton. They have somebody checking their burnt finger. <laughs> simpler times so simple would you do it again you know my daughter was so excited her face like lit up yeah she was hugging me it was like she was laughing with all her little friends and they were all like giggling about the fact that i was there all of her classmates when they lined up to leave the lunchroom at the end of the the lunch period they all started hugging me randomly like even kids that i hadn't even i don't even know who they are and they, i didn't hadn't even interacted with them during this experience and they were just hugging me and then like it was like a chain reaction like monkey see monkey do like one person <laughs> hugged me and then they all just like thought they were supposed to hug me so they all just started hugging me as they were leaving and i was like oh they're so sweet at that age that's cute yeah that's very cute from that stressful situation i'm gonna take you into our mental health segment which is a story about another stressful situation that i found myself in recently the takeaway here is just remaining calm finding a sense of calm in stressful situations so in this particular story that i'm going to tell you i think my husband and i reacted differently to the stressful situation that we were in he reacted very much from a place of extreme anxiety and 
I think I maybe was too calm for the situation. (laughs) Just needing to find a balance of like not letting anxiety get the best of you during stressful times. So I think I would have been more on your husband's side. You would have been stressed? A little bit. A little bit. With this story, I would have freaked out, especially if I thought my phone was dying. I know you're going to get into the story. That's interesting because as I was going through this experience, I was picturing you there with me and what you would have been like. And I I feel like you would have been a source of calm there. I think at first, at first I would freak out. Then I'd be like, okay, we got to figure this out. Yeah. And eventually, yeah, I would have had a first freak out for a few minutes. Like, oh, shit. Oh, my God. We're going to be stuck. No one's going to find us. And then it'd be like, okay, now it's time to like buckle up and we got to figure this out. So with all these teasers, <laughs> let me fill you in. We recently went on a trip to Florida. Gulf side, southern tip, kind of 10,000 island area region. And I decided that we were going to go jet skiing. My husband and I had done that before we had my daughter. We had a lot of fun. You see a lot of dolphins. It's just, it's a fun experience. We decided that was a safe enough activity to take our five-year-olds on with us because we're not going fast. We're not going to be dangerous. Like none of that. We're just putting around looking for dolphins. Easy peasy. We don't need a guide. We don't need a guide. We're going to take these on an unguided excursion. (laughs) So we paid for two jet skis for two hours. My daughter was on the back of my jet ski. My husband was riding on his own. We're having a grand old time. We figured we'd go, you know, out about an hour, have some lunch that we packed with us, you know, just find a spot to stop for lunch, eat on the jet ski. And then we would start making our way back. So we would know that we were, you know, an hour out, an hour back. That would be our two hours. So we were supposed to return the jet skis at 12 because we were we were 10 to 12. We're going. My daughter's pretty tentative of being on the jet ski to begin with. So she's kind of like not having it. Mommy, don't go fast. She had me staying at like idle speed, which is like two miles an hour. <laughs> we spotted a couple of dolphins right before lunch. We stopped. We ate our sandwiches. No big deal. All good. Everything going according to plan. My husband looks at the map. And I'm actually going to tell you, so originally I planned on telling this story as part of a like, I don't know, Henry the Navigator type of segment where we were talking about just maybe the navigational prowess of the Portuguese people and how I did not get that gene. But here we are in mental health. My husband's the one who's like reading the map and trying to figure out where we're going and all this. Because when I'm out on the open water, like, nunca, no idea. Everything looks the same. Same. I don't know the rules of the road out there. I don't know that I'm supposed to be on the left of the buoy or the right of the buoy. Which direction I'm going, coming or going, no wake zone. um, I don't know. If I see no land, I'm screwed. Even with the land. So this area is, it's called like kind of like the 10,000 Islands area. Yeah. So just right there in the name, right there in the name. (laughs) There's a lot of lands, but there's all these like, kind of like little channels and mangroves and just areas. It's like a maze. It's basically okay. a maze. So my husband's got the map and he sees a shortcut for the way home. Instead of coming through the big open channel that we came through on the way out, he wants to go through this other back channel 
on the way back. In a I don't like this. <laughs> I don't know any better. I just, yep, you know the way, honey. Let me follow you. So I'm following him back. And we actually see this dolphin get up really close to us. It was really cool. Aww. It was fun. And then he continues on. And all of a sudden, he's 50 yards ahead of me. He turns around. He's giving me like a signal to like, stop, stop, stop. Okay, maybe this isn't the right way. Maybe we're going to turn around or something. So I slow down. And then I very quickly realize that I cannot speed back up. So I look back and I'm churning up brown water, the brown oh. stuff. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. Just to describe where we are, because like I feel like hearing this, you'd be like, only an idiot could get stuck like that. But it was just this wide open area. I was nowhere near land. I did not know it was shallow. I, we had no idea the depth of this area. So he's even further ahead of me. So his machine is considerably more stuck than, than mine. But mine is no longer... Like I can't get it to, to go. The engine would just rev up and I wasn't moving. So I was like, all right, I got to kill the engine immediately. So I immediately killed my engine because that was literally the guy who gave us these jet skis. He told us nothing. But the one thing he did tell us was if you get beached in some way, don't try to like pump up your engine to get out of it. He said, just cut the engine and you got to like push it. Okay. Until you get out of the, that mess. And we're like, okay. So I had cut my engine early. My husband, being a man, decided he was going to try to rev the engine to get himself out of it, which worsened the problem for him. You know, the guy just did say. <laughs> right. I actually followed the instructions. He's thinking like, OK, we're just in shallow ground. I have to like just get out and push this a little bit to get into deeper water and then we'll be able to get going on our way. So his jet ski starts going into high temperature alarm on the engine. He's got to turn it completely off. Reminder, I have my five-year-old daughter on the back of the mm. jet ski. We both have to get off of the jet skis and try to push. You have to push both of yours, though, right? Both of the jet skis are stuck and needing to be pushed. He was just a little bit further in than I was. We're both wearing Crocs. We get off of the jet skis, and I put, I put one leg down into the water, and my Croc just sinks into the mud into like a suction it makes a suction and i couldn't get my foot back out of the mud i know that feeling you're like you're stuck i was like it was a quicksand i was like oh my god crocs gotta go immediately no i gotta lose the crocs dug my croc up out of the mud put it up on the jet ski now the water is about waist high so I was wearing a fanny pack and my mm. fanny pack was in the water. My fanny pack was wet. So water is about waist high. The mud is a little above my knee. Okay. A good amount of mud. A good amount of mud. So basically, instead of you just getting off and having like your feet hit the ground and it be solid ground, your feet would go down into mud and then it would push down like three feet into, <laughs> into the mud or two feet into the mud. And you have to like trudge through that knee high yeah. mud. And it wasn't smooth. There was all kinds of like dead mangrove stumps in there. We were just scraping and scratching our feet, trudging through this mud. Like it was the 
hardest workout that I've ever done. Like my legs were like jello. We'd push for a little bit. And then like the water current is like bringing bringing you back to like, you're not moving. Right, right, right. Yeah. We're making no progress. And I'm like, I am, I am, I physically exhausted all of my energy. Yeah. Just trying to push this stupid jet ski and I'm not getting anywhere. And my husband's pushing his, so he can't help me. I've got my daughter sitting on mine, who was a saint throughout this. She is usually the first one to freak out in any situation. And I don't know how she was so calm because. Thank God. We were in peril. And she was like, (laughs) she was calm as a cucumber just sitting there. And normally she'd be panicking. She would like read the panic on our faces and she'd be panicking and she'd be crying. and, And we'd have to manage her on top of managing the situation. And so I think she just understood the seriousness to the situation and she was just like i better just sit tight while this while the adults <laughs> handle this at one point she did say mommy are we going to call for help smart girl and so that was on our list to do we're like we're going to call the guy what's he going to do we have to call him a to tell him that we're going to be late because now we're not going to make it back to uh, yeah. time he's supposed to meet us back at the boat launch at noon we're not going to be there he has this like inherent need to be on time and to not displease people people pleasing you know so he is panicked because of the timing issue and then he's also just in his mind being like did i just purchase two jet skis that's where my brain would have gone i just like wrecked these two jet skis they're stuck in the mud they won't start they got high alarms like whatever did i just buy two broken jet skis which the guy made a point to tell us that they were only a month old so (laughs) so they were brand new third thing going through your head is okay you call for help what is the guy gonna do we're like 40 minutes out from the boat launch because we had just started making our way back when we got stuck right this guy was just like he was like an older guy he was like just driving the truck to put the jet skis in the water right what's he gonna do how is he gonna get us he doesn't have the means to come and get us he could call Call the the coast Coast guard Guard? yeah i'm like what are you gonna do call the coast guard He's like, Melissa, I don't think you understand. Like, this water is so shallow that our jet skis got stuck. Like, you can't bring a boat in here. Yeah. The boat's going to get stuck. Like, you can't come in here to help us out without getting stuck. You get helicopter lifted. <laughs> <laughs> they come around you. <laughs> then, like, a bungee down. So, in his mind, he was like, like, we are so stuck because there's no way of getting help. Like, we're out in the middle of nowhere and there's no way that somebody can reach us with a water craft. I know, but it's like I would almost want somebody to know that like, hey, we're struggling right now. I'm the one who had been texting the guy for the jet skis mm-hmm. on my phone. So I pull out my phone to be like, all right, we, we should consider making a phone call to this guy. My phone battery is like about to die. And I'm like, oh, shit. So I think I gave the phone number to my husband and he called the guy to tell him we were going to be late. And I think he was like trying to downplay the situation a little bit because he didn't want to be like, oh, we ruined a jet ski. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, we're a little stuck. We're a little stuck. We're going to be a little later than anticipated. And uh, we'll see you when we get back. <laughs> I'm not sure what time that'll be, but see, we'll see you when you see us. See you when I see ya. And the guy was like, okay, do your thing. See you soon. And we're like, all right. So that was useless. So we just had to keep pushing. 
we yeah. just had to keep pushing. So at one point, like my legs gave out. And so my husband pushed his as far as he could out. He abandoned his. He trudged through all that mud to get back to me, helped me. So the two of us to push up mine together until we got them close enough together. I was like, I didn't run my engine into high alarm. So I think I can get my machine going. It ne- like it seemed like we were in a little bit of deeper water after all this pushing. And so I, I turned it and mine started. So I was like, oh, sh- sweet. His, his was still dead. Okay. And his was, his was still in high temperature alarm. So we're like, what if we tie them together so that we can tow yours? There was like a little short rope on the back end of one or whatever. And we tied the two jet skis together. Like they were like bumper to bumper. Yep. Throughout this process, just to explain to you what is happening, these jet skis are in the water. We're in the middle of the water. There's no land nearby, right? And nobody else is around. Nobody else is around. Just us. My daughter's on one of the jet skis. He and I keep transferring because like I was on my jet ski. He was on his. We were tying them together. And then we're like climbing over the jet skis and we're swapping positions. So he's like, all right, you get in that one. You see if you can start that one. All right, no, you climb onto this one. And he was trying to get me to sit on the front of the jet ski to see if the back end would like lift up out of the water so that to see if that would like clear out the mud and like get us going again. And so we are just climbing back and forth over these two jet skis. And I'm like, we're going to tip a jet ski. Like we're (laughs) on top of this. I'm like, we're going to tip one of these. Like this is just going to be a disaster. So like now we start getting like mad at each other because I'm like, you're acting stupid. I'm like, get it together. Get it together. (laughs) Calm down. Because he was so frantic. He was so frantic. And I'm like, get it together. So eventually we start towing. So we're going super slow. Two jet skis are tied together. We're towing them out of there. And then once we got far enough, I'm like, all right, let's try to get yours started. I'm like, let's untie these bad boys and um, you'll start yours up. He was able to start it, but it still had high temp alarm and it wasn't really going or it was going really, really slow. And then eventually he just like, like it got enough clean water in slowly to like cycle out the mud. He said he felt like a big slug just go like, whoa. And the like mud came out, and he was just like, what? just cranked <laughs> it up, cranked up the speed, and then we we just like hightailed it all the way back. Somehow, my daughter, who was so scared of the jet ski and going at high speeds, like on the way out, on the way back, she was loving it. She was like, "Oh, this is so fun, mommy!" And like we're hitting waves at wake, and we're going like super fast on the way back, just trying to make it back. And she's like, woo, this is so fun. And I'm like, homegirl just didn't want to be stuck, trapped on a jet ski anymore. She's like, take me as fast as you can back to land. She's like, take me home, mom. Take me home. Take me home. We roll back into that boat launch. And I cannot tell you that scene. We took two white jet skis out on the water and we returned two brown jet skis. <laughs> because we were climbing all over them and yeah. we, we were caked up to our like above our knees in mud and everything we had mud on our clothes like all over everything and just the mud stuck and it was all over the jet skis and we were just like hello <laughs> returning the jet skis <laughs> nothing to see here <laughs> nothing to see here that sounds like a fucking disaster and that would have been like an episode of like an mtv challenge (laughs) 
my husband was like in his mind. So the he was getting so crazy. So let's just talk about like mental health for a second. He was getting so crazy that in his mind, he was like rationing the water. Like how much water do we have left? Like we have no food because we ate it. We ate like whatever we had for lunch. He's like, we only have like a half liter bottle of water left between the three of us. And I don't know how long we're going to be stuck here for. Like he's rationing water for us. And oh he's like, that's that's the like disaster level he was at. And I was like, I just wasn't there with you, man. Like, yeah, I wouldn't have been there. <laughs> I knew we were going to find a way back. Like, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't fun. <laughs> but I I just we were going to get through it. We were going to find a way back. Like I wasn't my mind didn't automatically go to let's ration the water because I live here now, <laughs> you know? Right. Because this man wants his jet skis at the end of the day. He's, he's gonna come he's gonna find a way to come get us right yeah like granted if he doesn't care about helping you guys he wants his jet skis so he's gonna figure it out too if you guys are still over there at like 8 p.m at night <laughs> my only worry would be like oh my god i have to buy these jet skis now because i broke them that's where my anxiety would kick in he, yeah he, his head was going there too he didn't want to be late he thought we were rationing water over there i'm like oh my god apparently it was low tide so <laughs> that contributed to the problem that's what happened so you can say that you stayed pretty calm then i was very calm in the situation and i was having to bring him back to a normal level because yeah. he was he was he doesn't do well in panic situations like that and he typically wears like his Apple Watch, which tells you mm-hmm. your like, what does what it tell you? Like your heart rate? Uh, your heart rate. Yeah. He, when we got back from that event, like we were scratched. Like we had cuts on our legs and our feet. Yeah. We like, saw I, the pictures. <laughs> I was sending you foot pics. I had like <laughs> gashes in my, like the heels of my feet. And like that was so painful to walk in. And I had just cuts everywhere. He couldn't settle himself. Like he his adrenaline was still going for so long after the event. He was like, I just can't even get settled. He's like, I wish I had been wearing my Apple watch because he's like, I would want to have seen what my heart rate spiked oh to my God. because he's like, it was just insane. Oh he usually God. wears it, but he didn't wear it because he was going jet skiing. So yeah, it would have been through the roof. Like his Apple watch would have been like system overload. <laughs> His watch would have been we sus- Yeah, we suspect that you've passed out. We're going to send an ambulance. There you go. <laughs> they would have sent an ambulance to your location. You know how it does, like, it can sense a fall? Did you yeah. know that? Yeah, no, I think I knew that. It can sense a fall. I do know that because my coworker got a watch for her mom because her mom fell. You're right. Yes. Do you have an Apple Watch? I don't. Oh, no. Do you? No. Okay. no. I don't know if I can get on that trend. No, I don't. I just don't like wearing watches. I don't like wearing jewelry. I just uh, it's one more thing to put on and take off. I'm all about simplicity. I don't need to know what my heart rate is throughout the day. <laughs> I don't need to know that like added information because if my heart rate was really high, I would be like googling like what does it mean. So it's like I I don't I don't need that. As you Google, the heart rate just keeps climbing. <laughs> exactly. I don't need to know. I don't know what this story does for people, but I think it just kind of illustrates you can choose to react however however you want in a stressful situation, but I don't think that catastrophizing the situation helps anything. No, not at all. You have to be like your daughter and just stay calm. She did the best out of the three of us. I'd say I came in second. (laughs) My husband came in the rear, came in 
Oh, no, that's what she said. <laughs> yes. He came in last. Yeah, well, he was. He thought he was on an episode of Survivor, ration in your water. He, I mean, he probably just felt like a lot of it was like on him to get us out of the situation. Yeah, probably like, being, like being his a girl. Man. Both of his girls were looking at him like, "What are we gonna do?" <laughs> <laughs> but like, even at the end there, when he told me to go up ahead, he said, "Just go and start riding back, and I'll." I'll follow behind because his machine was going really slow before it, before that slug got out of there and it kicked up to high speed. He's like, oh, you just lead the way back. And I was like, you know, I can't do that. I'm looking both ways. Like, I don't even know which direction <laughs> to start heading. Like, I would be screwed if I was stranded at sea because I'd be swimming. And I'm like, am I like swimming to like land? Am I going anywhere or am I just stuck here? It's all I don't know how people can navigate the ocean. I don't understand it. And we're like island people. Oh, we not technically. Our parents are. Right. So you would think that there'd be some like genetic disposition to navigational prowess in the water. And we do not have it. North, west, south and east doesn't even like come into my brain when I'm in the ocean. My dad was from one of the mountaintop villages. Yeah. He was not a fisherman village. (laughs) He didn't make it to the water. It was a long donkey trip to the water. So, but you guys, you guys got out. You guys didn't get stuck paying anything extra. You guys didn't get stuck with any broken jet skis. No, my husband gave the guy like a ninety-five dollar tip. Maybe it was probably worth it because the guy might have might have to fix something with the jet ski. (laughs) And we actually only ended up being fifteen minutes late. So, like, we were supposed to get back at twelve. We got back at twelve fifteen. My husband gave him a $95 tip for that. <laughs> and because the machines were a little muddy, but he would have given more. I know it. But that was the only cash he had left because we had to take, take cash out of the ATM to go and pay this guy. Yeah. And that was like the only cash he had left on him. He's like, take all my money. <laughs> Basically <laughs> just emptied his wallet for the guy. It was like, here, we're sorry. Please don't He's call so me. He's so worried. He, he was so paranoid that even, I think it was like, days later in our vacation he would get a phone call from an unknown number on his phone and he would look at it and his his heart rate would spike because he would think that it's oh this has got to be the jet ski company calling to tell me about the damage and i'm like oh my gosh it was like the restaurant calling (laughs) to tell us like confirm your reservation please he was like panicked he was a mess. He was a total mess. Poor guy. I feel bad now for the people that use the jet ski after you guys. Like, I would just hope, like, I hope everything goes well with them. Like, oh, we didn't fuck anything up. So I truly think that it just needed a water to flush it out. And because we were still, we still had like a 40 minute run to get back to the boat launch that the, had the time. we had plenty of time for all fresh water to flush out of there so i think it's totally fine <laughs> well you've been back now for a few weeks so right right you're good you guys are good you guys are solid i wonder how long before my husband doesn't cringe at an unknown number <laughs> what's the statute of limitations on clogging up a jet ski is he so freaking out he probably like won't even answer and just see if it see if the people leave a voicemail message no, oh, he's an answerer. He answers oh. every call. Yeah, no, I'm not. Yeah, no. Leave a voicemail? And my voicemail's full, so don't leave a voicemail. 
on that note, I hope that we help bring some calmness to your stressful lives with our show. And have fun jet skiing the next time you go. And don't end up like Mosa and her husband. My husband does not speak Portuguese, but if he did, he would say, Nunca mais, nunca na minha vida. Am I ever going to go on a jet ski again? Because he said in English, never again. He said, I will never ride a jet ski again for as long as I live. I don't blame him. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Have a great week, guys.